ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I used to think that being an adult meant being able to decide my own bedtime. Maybe I'd carry a briefcase. I would definitely be eating ice cream for dinner. But I've come to realise a harsh reality that being an adult mainly means spending huge amounts of time talking about house prices. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, the show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. So what is the deal with Australia's housing obsession? Is it possible to afford a home anymore without getting help from the bank of mum and dad? And how is the housing crisis further entrenching our growing class divide? Someone who's definitely seen a house before is Richard Aidy. Hello, Richard. Hello, Tegan. Tell me about this term that you've been banding about recently, inheritocracy. It's a great word, isn't it? When you hear it, you kind of think, yeah, I think I know what that means. I read it quite early this year in the Financial Times, actually, and it was about London. And it was saying, you know, this is a problem in London, that we have families that maybe for generations have been able to live in London, and now they can't unless they're young people who should be buying property either inherit or get other help from families, from from the bank of mum and dad is is the shorthand for it. And it's the same here too. So we are starting to see this class of people, young people, who can buy a property because of those things. They're either inheriting family wealth or they get other help from their families. And they've always existed. But what's changed is because of the galloping asset price inflation in property, it's led to that group becoming increasingly kind of dominant within their age group because the other people in the age group who don't have the family help can't buy the property. So increasingly, it really matters. Can your family help you? Yeah. And so I guess London's a really big, expensive city. Everyone knows that people have been living there for several hundreds of years now. But even in um, Australia, it's happening, especially in big cities like Sydney and Melbourne. It's almost impossible to afford to get in these places that are like uh, tagged as being like starter homes or first home buyers homes that just feel completely out of reach. Absolutely. And it, and it is, it does depend on where you are. So this is one of the things we looked at on the money when we looked at inheritocracy. In Sydney, a young person just cannot do it. They cannot buy property without family help. Now in Adelaide, they can. In Brisbane, you might not believe this, they still can. And it's still sort of possible in Melbourne too at the moment. One thing the researchers are all clear on that I spoke to, in Sydney you can't do it. So what percentage are we talking about, these people who are kind of coming into the bank of mum and dad to get into the housing market? So 60% are getting help from their parents. And interestingly, some of the researchers I spoke to to make this show, everybody who bought property in Sydney all had help. Like none of them were able to do it without help. This isn't just anecdotal. This is quite a systematic study that these researchers have done. From memory, they talked to about 1,200 young people in different parts of the country. What kind of help are we talking about? Well, it varies. So you kind of think of it as this sort of, I'll help you out with the deposit. And that does happen. But it's not just cash. There are also loans. There's also parents acting as guarantor. And there's the kind of in-kind transfers. So older children, talking into your 20s, living at home for longer and living rent-free or perhaps living in an investment property that the family owns 
for nothing. And the other thing I should say, I think, Tegan, is we say banker mum and dad, and it's great, it's really Australian, but it's not just mums and dads. We know uh, because of research that's been done at the University of Newcastle that it's families and it can be aunties and uncles and even other siblings. What kind of effect is this having on the cost of housing? It's sort of not helping, is it? Because if you can find the money to hit these prices, then vendors are encouraged to ask for more money. And that's what's happened. We, we saw that with, you know, government injections that started under the coalition government, first home buyers and things like that, that we're all familiar with now. Well, we now know, and the research has been there for quite a while, actually, that what that did was went straight to the vendors. It didn't make houses more affordable. It actually made them more expensive. So you have to imagine that the bank of mum and dad is having a, an impact on housing prices. When we talked about this word inheritocracy, this idea of the ocracy part of it, the sort of system that it underpins it, is this assumption that mum and dad have a property that you can leverage off to buy your one. And so then if, if mum and dad don't, then what does that mean in terms of like intergenerational wealth for people who can't use that as a stepping stone? It's a really interesting question because of kind of where we go from here. So traditionally you divided up Australians by more or less thirds. Thirds was always slightly not accurate. There were about 35% of people owned their own property. They paid the mortgage and about a third were paying it and then a bit over 30% were renting. So we now know that more people are renting and we know that fewer people, especially in younger demographics, are buying property. And we know that the people who've already bought property, they're the older people. But it's now clear that some people are never going to buy property. So that's something that we haven't talked about much in Australia. It's always been, it's been part of the Australian dream since World War II, that you would get a job and you would buy property. It's increasingly clear that's not going to work for everybody. And in fact, the rental group is growing. So as that demographic ages, they don't have a property to help out that next generation with. And it was put to me that that property, it's so valuable. We are not finding, or the researchers are not finding parents who are able to help in the same way without that property. It's essentially like a bank. So if you've got property, you can go guarantor for a child. You can pull out some equity from it and use that equity to help fund a deposit or make a loan. You can sell it and downsize and disperse some of the difference to your kids who want to buy a property. You have all this flexibility because of your property. If you don't have that property, then you don't have that flexibility. And you can see how if that's the case, if it increasingly has to be that way, that has real implications for Australian society. So if we've got this sort of growing number of people who are renting, somewhere in there is always going to be a proportion of people who are reliant on social services and social housing. What kind of effect does this have on the demand for that social housing? Well, we know the demand for social housing has been not met for probably a decade or two decades now. So investment in social housing started to decline in the 80s and, and really declined in the 90s. We now conflate the terms social and community housing like they're the same thing and they're not, but both of them we're under-investing in and it's a big part of the, the housing problem in Australia. And if you look at other wealthy countries and I suppose especially the, the wealthy European countries, there's lots of housing that's provided by the city or the state 
and there's no stigma that goes with living in it. And in fact, there's no stigma that goes with renting your entire life. If you go to a city like Vienna, it's full of apartments that more or less are owned by the city or by different communities and people rent them forever. Our country doesn't work that way. And what I think is uh, the emergence of an inheritocracy at the same time as we're seeing this increasingly large group of renters means that we may get to a crunch point where we have to think again about how we've done this. Yeah, what could a different model look like? We're, I mean, we're so obsessed with real estate in Australia. Like you say, it has sort of been the assumption that sort of by the time you retire, you'll have your own house. Like housing's basically free for you because you've paid it off. What could a different long-term view look like? It underpins even more than that, Tegan. It underpins like the superannuation. So super, which has been going now for 30 years compulsory contributions, and it's heralded as this great success story, and it, and it has been in terms of building wealth, but it always assumes that when you retire, you've paid off your house. Not just that you are buying a house, but that you've done it. And we know that people are entering the market later and that they're most, some of them are not going to have paid off their houses and that, that number will grow. So it'll affect super too. There's several things that could happen, and I know that there are a bunch of economists around the country who are thinking about this a lot, one is that we have to think differently perhaps about renting. So renting becomes a thing that more and more people will do, that it's less seen as a life stage and more as what you do in your life. We need a lot more social housing so that the people who can only get into the bottom of the private rental market have somewhere else to be. The other thing we can do is we can stop framing property as an investment as much as anything else. So capital gains tax, we should maybe have another look at that. It won't be popular. If you look at the number of people who own a property already completely outright, older people who've done it, and the number of people who are buying a property, it doesn't make sense for the politicians to do anything to take the heat out of the property market because those people are invested. They have an interest in the property prices continuing to be high, except that the older ones have kids too. And if they can't help them, then they might have something else to say. Okay, so let's just real kind of telescope into the future here. What happens if we don't do anything? I think that's really bad. I think that has real effects on the kind of cohesiveness of Australia. I think it completely undermines the idea of Australia. We have this idea that in a way we're all as good as each other and that's that's still part of our social norms and that anybody can make a go of things. And if you remember our last Prime Minister who loved that, have a go, you get a go. Well, the reason he said that was that it kind of did sort of mean something, and it certainly has an appeal to people. If you have a society where in some parts of it, and certainly Sydney and perhaps Melbourne and maybe other places too, you can only buy property if you get help from your family, that's incredibly divisive. It becomes a more divided country. And I don't think we want that. I think that the idea of Australia is is a more cohesive country. I don't know if we keep having that if there isn't a way in to property unless your family will help you. Yeah, we really need these social policy shifts. Otherwise, I am doomed to having endless dinner party conversations about housing prices indefinitely. Uh, I think you have them anyway, even when you're <laughs> in the market. And the other thing you have to look forward to, Tegan, is schools. You'll talk about those a lot too. <laughs> That's already happening for me as well. Richard, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. QuickSmart is made on the lands of the Jagera and Turrbal and Gadigal people. 
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.